Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, we speak with Grant Muriel, who is the host of the co-host, should I say, of the Property and Investing Podcast and also the Business and Investing Podcast. He is a serial entrepreneur who has gone on a property investing journey. And we talk about the similarities and differences in property and business, why it's really important to build wealth outside of business, how to manage kind of risk-adjusted returns through business and property and all of that kind of stuff, as well as digging into his property portfolio, some of the successes he's had along the way, and also some of the lessons he's learned. So if you're a business owner and you're thinking about investing in property, even if you're not, this is going to be a great episode for you because there's a lot to learn in there from someone who's gone on their property journey and looked at it from a very different perspective. So I'm sure you're going to love this episode just as much as I did as well. Let's leave it there and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is a very special guest. He is not only a property investor, but also a successful business owner who sits on multiple investment boards, has done heaps of crazy stuff. I'm super excited to get into this show today. Grant Muriel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Goose. It's a pleasure to be here. We've had the good fortune to get to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years through multiple mediums. Now, you are also the co-host of the uh, Business and Investing Podcast and also the property newly launched Property and Investing Podcast. But mate, how are those podcasts going? How's that journey going for you? It's actually been crazy. So we started property and investing, as you know, like more recently. And that has been huge reception. As we know, the, the property space is awesome in Australia. And then mm. business and investing has been around for a bit, a year and a bit. That has just opened so many doors from a business perspective. It's like, it was the greatest growth hack. I just wish everyone told me years ago, I would have done it a interesting. Very, very long time ago. <laughs> that, is, that is super interesting. So mate, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a bit of your background because you've done a very broad number of things in, in, your, in your period of time. So why don't you kind of give us a background, tell us, give us a bit of a shape up, tell us your story about how you got to this point today. Do you want me to go all the way back to like university Not days? to childhood. Yeah, no, well, I don't know. Is there anything good at university? Because like, oh. I mean, I know, I know that, you were in, you, that you were in the Philippines doing business over there. And I'm like, that's a pretty interesting starting point. I'll rewind back because there's a little bit of property sprinkled throughout everything. So oh, when I graduated high school, there was, I deferred university for a year and I actually managed a retail store with 50 people who were, majority of the people were in their 40s plus. As an 18-year-old, as their manager, you can see, you can imagine the challenges that I faced and the power tripping that I was totally going through. But it was actually interesting. During that period, the only thing I would do, I'd go back home at night when I was living with my parents. And this was before online calculators existed, Goose. So I literally would go and get the financial review. I'd go and get like the real estate section out of it. And I genuinely built a mortgage repayment calculator that would also show the ROIs in Excel, like in Windows 98 or something like that just to see returns on property because I'm like, this is going to be the mechanism. Fast forward, I went to university, did my enjoyable university years and got a majors in entrepreneurship. That's right. Registered entrepreneur, Goose. And I forgot about property for a couple of years. Certified. You're a fully certified Certified. entrepreneur. (laughs) I get to call myself an entrepreneur. You cannot. (laughs) Until you have a piece of paper, that's, that's the point. But interestingly enough, at the end of university, they said, you have to go and build a business and build a business plan and actually start executing this business, like genuinely put in money so that you can submit something at the end of university. Because it was around entrepreneurship, you had to do the thing. I actually built an online forum called realtyforum.com.au. And it was all about how to invest in properties and improve properties. And funnily enough, my you'll never guess the first person I interviewed on there was a guy called Chris Gray. 
And he'll never remember it. Just as he started, uh, he had 20 properties at the time or something like that. He was talking about how he was renting in this gorgeous place in Sydney. And it was like, I was like this 20-year-old kid, like heart jumping out of my chest going, oh my gosh, this is like amazing. I think he just released the book, uh, The Effortless Empire or something like that at that point around 2008. And so then unfortunately, the Russian hacker bots just kept bringing my website down and I was a university student. So they did the course, did the thing and then closed it down. And then business ensued. And then I started opening businesses, running businesses where I'd just take all my profit, push it back into the business and I'd take, get more profit and I'd push it all back in the business. And any more money that I'd have, I'd look for other businesses to invest in. It went like that for probably the better part of a decade until I had a good amount of equity, dollar value equity sitting in multiple businesses. And I caught up with Charlie Valor, who I know you've had on the podcast before. And I'm like, there's going to be a better way to play this. And yeah, we spoke about property. And so my biggest diversification was kind of going back into my original roots, which was property. And all I've ever cared about in life was business and property. That's really interesting. So it's interesting for a couple of reasons. So back when you were like creating your own mortgage calculator and stuff, you said this will be the mechanism. So did you realize then that the pathway to build sustainable wealth was through property or like what was the, what was the thinking? Completely. There? So every year I would get the BIW rich list every year without fail. And to the yep. point that my parents actually started buying it for me. Like I was reading Fin Review when I was 16. Nice. And every single person there was property. Like outside of some miners, like some resources. Yep. Like the general A lot of those would stuff. be developers and stuff though. Completely. But my brain at the time didn't take that difference between developers and commercial real estate and residential real estate. Like I was too young in my journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this is the thing. And so I saw all these people in the BRW, which then turned me into, well, property is the thing. I like numbers a lot, way too much. And so Excel was the greatest tool ever invented. And yeah, mm-hmm. the nerd that I awesome. am. Just- and so over like over the course of a decade of you like investing in businesses and growing businesses and stuff, you ended up with loads of equity in the businesses. Why did you suddenly think, oh, there must be a better way? Because you've built equity, you've got multiple businesses. That sounds like you could have been on a really successful path. Like, I mean, look at someone like Elon Musk, right? He's all in in business. In fact, last I checked, I think he's living in a tiny house, like no real estate and stuff like that. So, So what was the trigger for you to say, no, actually, this might not be the right level of asset diversification or like what was the thinking there that made you go, hang on a second, I need to do something different? Because ostensibly, that sounds like it might have been pretty good. (laughs) Well, it was. Uh, So I I could actually tell you the, and I I vividly remember the exact time. So during my business career, like I started the business in Australia, I ran the business for a couple of years and I actually moved over to the Philippines. It was either going to be Barcelona, Spain, or Cebu, Philippines. And so I ended up choosing why those, the Why the choice between those two? Well, one, Barcelona is like incredible. The food, the architecture. It's great, isn't it? But the time zone sucks. So I couldn't support my Australian clients on the time zone. When I traveled through the Philippines, I'd met a lot of amazing business owners that had like mm. 200 staff. And they were willing to talk to me and share to me their stories and how they'd grown. And I'm like, this is the network I want to be around. And so mm. I said, well, I'm going to get that support in Melbourne. I might as well pack up from Melbourne and go to Cebu. And so mm. when I was in Cebu, um, I've, there was one time where I flew back to Melbourne and I actually met my now wife, Hazel. And so she moved back to the Philippines and we were living together. And then when we came back to Melbourne, this would have been five, six years ago, give or take, I had brought to her another business to invest in. And so this was a, a great dental inventory management company, which I actually invested in. And I said, hey, can we take this decent sum of cash and invest in this business. I think it's going to do really well. And she looked at me and she's like, I'm happy for us to do this, but at what point do we invest in like the future family and the future of us? 
And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, we've got all this equity in these great companies. Like whenever they sell or whenever we exit, we'll be fine. We'll be right as rain. And she's like, yeah, but like they have to exit. Like there's volatility, there's ups and downs. She's like, I'm not feeling safe in this. And I, I remember sitting there talking to Hazel and, and you know Hazel. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> I'm like, there's something needs to change here. And so that was when I said, well, how do I generate wealth outside of the business, which is the premise of the business and investing podcast? How do I generate wealth outside of it? Because obviously the only point that I will retire on these businesses is if they sell, which they might not, they might. The paper value is that they should do well if they do sell now, but it's not set in stone. Like something could change, something could happen and they just disappear. And so going back to my childhood, I'm like, well, a great investment mechanism is property but at that point in time, things had changed so much. I'm like, is it still good? Is it still the approach? And that's basically when I spoke to Charlie, spoke to Dashdot and yourself, Goose, caught up. Um, and I'm like, this is it. This is going to be the best path. I remember, I remember that first conversation. And if I might just say, you were, you were, quite, you were quite cocky and headshore. You were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how property works. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the numbers. And you were very much like, I was like, okay. Guy, how, how, many, how many properties have you, have you got? Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's like, all right, man. Was, no worries. Yeah, headstrong. That's what I call it. Not cocky. Definitely headstrong. He, de- definitely headstrong. <laughs> we'll say headstrong. So that's interesting. So was the main driver about the illiquidity risk and the kind of like the volatility risk? So is it Was it purely a risk play or was, it, was there anything else to it? We were fortunate enough to have cash in a bank account. Right, and we could extract mm. cash out of businesses to sit in bank accounts. But having so much money in a bank account is not going to create some kind of security for now into the future, right? Because we still need to, I still need to run businesses. At the time, she was working, um, and now she works inside the businesses, so we kind of compound on the growth. But it's like this reliance for income on something else. And mm. I'm just like, well, I want her to have the opportunity to not work or to work. I couldn't care less. She can do whatever she wants. And the only way for me to achieve that is through um, some kind of investment vehicle. And because a lot of these businesses weren't spinning out cash, like some of them were, but majority of them were just equity, which is shelved value. I wasn't going to be able to get any cash flow from that, which means that I had to get cash flows from something else. And so property was the greatest way for us to go, cool, if we take this liquid cash, invest it into property, we can then get the cash flow for that to offset an income and then just run that way because we were earning good enough money elsewhere. And so that was the whole approach was business is risky and not spinning off cash flow outside of uh, what I pay myself. Let's go and get something to offset that risk, which mm. is property that can also spin out cash flow. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I think most business owners think about property is that it's slow and boring and confusing. How have you found that? <laughs> I just keep touching things. Like that's all I keep doing. I just, I just find <laughs> diff, diff, different things to touch. I'll be sitting there. I'm like, oh, we're not doing anything in property. That's it. Let's go and buy another one. Oh, we're not doing anything in property. All right, that's it. Go for a refinance. I'm not doing anything in property. Like I'll always find this thing for us to do or like, or we'll do like a renovation on like, I think it was the Mm. second property that you guys bought for us. We're just like, cool, we'll just do a renovation on that one. With property, you kind of, you get what you kind of put into it. Like you can buy Mm. one and sit on it for 30, 40, 50 years and that's completely fine. But there's, in my opinion and my way of approaching business, which is the exact same way I approach property, is there's always better ways to optimize, always better ways to extract. So I'm always touching it and poking it and seeing what works, what doesn't work and all those things. So it's actually fueled my business desires in property. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Would you go back and change anything about your journey? Like, would you have invested in property earlier? Like, like totally. knowing what you know, uh, yeah. Would you <laughs> would you have done a bit more of a fifty fifty approach as opposed to going one hundred percent business for a decade and then going to property? Would it sort of been like I'll put half my cash in property and half my cash in business? If you could go back ten years or fifteen years, how would you kind of play it differently? I've always joked with Charlie Valley, the 
the co-host of uh, <laughs> Business Investing and Property Investing, that we are the greatest case studies. So Charlie invested in property heavily and I invested in business heavily, right? Mm. And on, on paper, we're worth about the same. But the thing that I don't have is the compounding value that he has in his larger mm. property portfolio. And I'm like, it's going to be very difficult for me to win outside of these businesses having huge growth uh, sort of plays where now the exit amount is significantly greater. And so mm. I sit there and I'm like, ah, oh, man. So to answer your question, I'm a living case study of that I should have done it like five, 10 years prior. And I actually did. I flew back from the Philippines with the, the family lives in Gippsland, Victoria. Um, and I looked at houses to buy in Gippsland, Victoria as an investor. Whereabouts? Liquid. Uh, so they live in Warrigal. Okay. And so I was actually, yeah, I had liquid cash and I'm like, cool, I could totally just buy an investment property here. And it was based off nothing more than my parents live in this place and I think it will grow up. It will increase in value. But then I just didn't do it because why? I went and found another shiny object in business to throw money at. Mm, <laughs> and so yeah, this, this I actually think good. investing in property would have been a better approach to get me to stop looking at shiny objects that some worked out really well, others worked out not so well. And I'm like, and, so and yes. you're not competitive. And you're not competitive at all, at all. So it doesn't no, worry I, you that 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 Charlie is. That doesn't bother you at all, does it? Uh, you could, it definitely does. Every night I lay awake, <laughs> going, how how am I going to screw him on something? How so am I going to beat him? Yeah, now I'm going to push these businesses to increase their value just to beat him. It's really an interesting one, isn't it? Like the whole kind of like business versus property discussion, because you know business ostensibly can be the fastest and greatest growth vehicle on the planet, right? You know, there's totally. a reason. There's a reason that Elon Musk is worth whatever he's worth and you get a trillion dollar Apple, but I've never seen a trillion dollar house, you know, you know what I mean? And so the disparities between the potential between the two is, is huge. Like the b- business played, played right could be tremendously massive. And if you, you know, you hear about people getting 20, 30, 50, 100, 200x returns on their investor capital in some kind of things. That's a bit of a rarity, right? And so for most people, how do you see that as someone who's focused on numbers and ROI, how do you see that? Do you think actually for the average business owner and the average investor, say, not the outliers, do you think you're going to get a better ROI in business or in property? From my experience, what is it? Not financial advice. Now, from my experience, you get it from property. The challenge with business is, yeah, it's a good question. I'm going to try and simplify this. So in business, you're backing yourself. And Mm. as most business owners, we will back ourselves to some kind of degree where we should be able to lock in our returns, right? But every single year or every single time I hit a glass ceiling, I'm the one that has to try and break through that glass ceiling. And it's a swing of a bat, right? Like if I swing this bat and I connect with the ball and I hit a home run, great, winning, I'm happy days. But if I take a swing of the bat three times and miss and strike out, I'm kind of stuck with nothing, like I, I kind of return back home going, mm. look, I've got nothing. And this is where a lot of business owners say, look, I'm going to go and get a job because I've tried the thing. The thing kind of worked for a bit and I couldn't break through this glass ceiling. So now I'm going to go back. The statistic is like 80% of all businesses that are closed within the first five years of opening, right? And it's true. It, business is very difficult. It's very hard and things change all the time. And so for when I look at it, I go, I'm really good at business and I've done it for so long that I can back myself forever. But with that, where do I go and put some kind of safe level of returns? Like, How do I take that money and put it somewhere safe where it's going to grow from a capital value, which is the value of a property, for example, will continue to increase, whilst also having the ability to spin off cash flow so that it can fund um, a salary replacement for my wife, for example. And I'm like, I can't guarantee that in a business without me actively being in it consistently mm. and sort of tending to the fire and putting more wood in and putting more oxygen on, where for property, I can choose 
how much glass I want to weed. Like I can choose, do I want to put get more property? Do I want to get the property manager to do more stuff? Do I want to do a renovation? Do I want to do all these things? Or I can go completely risk off and I'll just have more cash in offset accounts. I'll just have bigger deposits. So I'll just have all mm. these things because I can earn it elsewhere. To come back to your question, I think that for business owners, the challenge is very few business owners sell their business and retire. More business owners close their business and move back into doing work as a salaried employee, where from a property investment perspective to migrate the cash whilst things are good in business across into it, I think it's just a better mechanism and a more stable mechanism. Yes, it mm. might peak and trough 5%, 10%, but in the long term, it doesn't really matter because it's just a better mechanism where you just don't need to poke it as actively as you do a business. It's an interesting one because what you're really talking about there is risk-adjusted returns as well because you're right. You can kind of like be the master of your own destiny in business and kind of to a certain degree drive it as fast as your skills and ambition will allow, right? And you can skills and ambition are malleable so you can grow your skills and you can grow your ambition, right? And so totally. you can grow a business as fast as your skills and ambition will allow. That doesn't mean that you control all of the controllables. And so you can you can have the skills and ambition and try and also still swing and miss and 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 swing out. Then you can go from a hundred to zero. Whereas in property, you're not going to go from a hundred to zero, right? That's one of the big things that I look at, right? Like there are some great companies like uh, Blockbuster and Kodak are all the way, always the ones yeah. that get brought up. Like fantastic businesses spinning off good profits. But just this market changed and they didn't pick up an innovation and all of a sudden they became irrelevant and, and like it can happen to everybody, right? Yeah. And so I look at that and I go, well, whilst the getting's good what am I going to do with the cash? And over 10 years, it was, well, I'll just invest in other businesses to diversify. However, those businesses didn't really turn into something. I sold equity in three different businesses over the last sort of 12, 18 months, which I just took that cash and I moved it into property. And so cool. because I just see that as a, it is more reliable where I don't think it's going to go to zero because you still got to rebuild the darn thing. And just the way that we invest is like, we're not going for two, three, four, five million dollar properties that are in Melbourne or Sydney where it might be impacted. We're going for sort of smaller things where they're less volatile. Yeah. So what is your property strategy? With all of that oh. in mind, understand you've got volatility and you've got risk and you've got all these other kind of what is your what is your strategy in property? Where am I going to get to or how do I think about property? What what is the goal and also how do you think about it? So there's a very short term approach. And this is it's just called the sleep at night factor for me. And so I'm growing towards a property portfolio that just replaces a salary. And it's funny, every single person says the exact same thing. And I think it's a perfect benchmark for me, which is 120 grand, like net from the property portfolio, but gross from an income perspective. Like I'm just going for that. Whether it's two and a half million, three and a half million in property, it doesn't matter. Like that's it. And you go, why? That is such a vanilla response grant. You're a smarter guy than that. You're right, Jason, I am. But I like step ones. And the step yeah. one to me is it is a great salary that is replaced for my wife. I will continue to play the game of business she can work, she can do whatever the heck she wants, but there is always this income coming in for her where she just Makes doesn't sense. need to worry about anything. And then for me, I did I be 70, 80, 90 still doing business, swinging for the fences and doing dumb things? I'm not worried about my ability to earn. And But if you've got that and maybe I get hit by a bus or some of that, she's settled, I'm okay because we've still got money coming in um, mm -hmm. and that will continue to grow. So the very first one is that. And then from there, I actually don't know. It's a bit of a question mark. I've kind of left that one for over the next couple of years, but I think it's probably going to be leaning towards like something more active. So over that 120, it'll probably be like bigger block, bigger properties, things that I can actually sort of touch, like feel mm. and maybe get big renovations on or things like that. Just go on for bigger swings of the bat. Because you do some build to rent stuff together, maybe. Completely. But those are the kind of things because I just, just sit there and it's like, well, 
if you've got a good income that's coming in without mm. worrying too much, how do you just not risk that portfolio and then go for something else where I just see it as supporting my, my business addiction in property? <laughs> nice, nice. I love it. Now, you recently got a, um, a portfolio growth plan as well. How has that shaped... How has that shaped your thinking about the future of your property portfolio? It's a good question. So I'm going to preface this by saying, so the few properties that uh, I've bought, which I think mm. three, uh, so the three. three properties that I've bought through a Dashdot um, have gone awesome. I'm really happy with them. From a financing perspective, I did some a little bit of trickery in using some third tier lenders to go and utilize some cash flow from businesses to get some money for Mm. buying houses, which is awesome. Uh, so my first step has been, great, let's go and right-size this, especially with the way that interest rates have increased. So I've gone and refinanced almost all of them. And then with the cash that sits in offsets, I'm then going, let's go next. And so it was awesome because um, I worked with the team and they actually put together like this portfolio growth plan. And as a as a business owner, one of the biggest things, which is me, it's no, no one else, it's just me. Like I go, how do I build a property portfolio where I just never need to look over my shoulder? I never have to worry about being forced to earn money out of the business to go put it in there. And I do this in a couple of different ways. Like first one is I never put anything less than a 20% deposit down. So I always need to make sure I have 20%. Um, my loan to value ratios will always bounce between around about 60 and 80, sometimes like 55% of the value of the property. And so if it goes below, then I'll probably like refinance to sort of prop it up again, just because I don't think yeah. I'm utilizing the debt enough. And so the really interesting thing about the portfolio growth plan, which is where <laughs> the team was just like, shut up, Grant. I w- I'm like, I want two scenarios. I want a scenario of no refinancing. And I want a scenario of what if I refinance? What if I kept pushing the bucket up to like 80%, 80% versus me just being a business owner, earning good money from the business and funneling that in? And it was actually one of these scenarios where I was like, I was, I was quite dumbfounded outside of a risk mm. thing challenge, which is on myself, on the ability to increase your portfolio at a compounding rate, reutilizing mm. debt on top of it. And then it just comes back to my risk tolerance. So the good thing about the portfolio growth plan was I was actually able to run two scenarios <laughs> to see well, if I push this lever and pull this lever, where does it stand? I actually got those results here. So using the, the cash only, no no refinancing, just kind of thing. Uh, if you don't mind me sharing some of the no, you uh, do. numbers, Go for it. it's, very, it's really uh, interesting to illustrate it. Go so, full transparency. Yeah, yeah. So rather than so just using a cash only approach, no refinancing and re-leveraging and all of that kind of stuff, you would have achieved a target. Uh, you would have achieved a, a cash flow result of 150K in nine years at a portfolio value of 6.2 million. That sounds pretty good. That beats your 120 that you're after. That's pretty good. Happy days, no dramas. But using a combination of cash and leverage to to speed up the portfolio and and accelerate that kind of compounding, you, you'll end up with 210k in nine in nine years and a 9.6 million dollar property portfolio, which is significantly it was right? different. <laughs> and this this was the thing that I'm a spreadsheet junkie, right? Like mm. anything I could do on a spreadsheet. Oh man, like I'm. The, I, I still joke about it. The day that I decided to propose to Hazel was when she showed me one of her spreadsheets, and I'm like, "You're done. Like you're in. No worries at all." Um, and trying to run those, <laughs> no one, no, never. It's never going to happen. 
but it was close, which is why I gave her the, the benefit. That's why I gave her a, a ring. It was she, her was spreadsheet skills were nearly as good as mine, and so <laughs> I'm going to make sure she listens to this episode. <laughs> I'm an easy man to please. Uh, but on that point, it was, you know how hard it is to build a spreadsheet that I get to run scenarios against and do mm. all these things on, like, I've built these trackers before, trying to have like 10 properties, 15 properties, and then go, well, if I refinance these back up to 20% and I don't do these, mm. dude, it's a difficult thing to code yourself. So when I was able to ask uh, one of the guys, I'm like, hey, can you, uh, could you just run this second scenario for me and just tell me where I would land? <laughs> it was like, awesome. You saved my time. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it's super, super insightful. Code. Like, it's about, a, it's about a look into the distance with all the, the different variables and stuff. So, no, that's awesome. And so how does that, how does that kind of shaped up how you're thinking about property now? Does it make you want to go faster, slower? Like is it is it what's it's, the- a, it's a great question. So funnily enough, um, I'm actually knocking on your door in January. So in like two weeks or something like that. So you just nice. don't know it yet. So the <laughs> the interesting thing has been in this year, business has gone great. Like it has been fantastic. And so it's been nothing more than a priority thing. Like uh, mm. you only have so much sequencing and priorities that you get to do. And so I'm like, cool. Like I held off, uh, it's been about six months, not because of lack of cash. It was just a lack of priority. Like business yeah. isn't that one priority. Let's go and do all these things in there. We're now stepping into 2023. It's like, great, let's go and dive into it. So for example, in 2023, I'm stepping into the year expecting to buy about three investment properties. That is the plan, which means that it's gone cool. I've gone on a little bit of a hiatus. Let's go ham in 2023. And then just mm. reevaluate as things change. Like, as you know, interest rates increasing, bank lending is changing, and it will continue mm. to change throughout the next 12 months. And so I'll just continue to iterate and improve based on whatever products are available. So, to answer your question very shortly, yeah, it's, it's foot on the gas. Like, it's <laughs> I awesome. think businesses are pretty settled. I can finally put a bit more time into property. Yeah, nice. And do you think in calendar years or do you think in financial years when you think about like your kind of yearly planning? Great question. Uh, so I kind of cheat. I get to do it twice. So I basically do two sets of yearly planning. So I'll do the like lessons learned and goals where I relate to mm-hmm. the rest of society is a calendar year. But for profit, for cash flow, for balance mm-hmm. sheets, et cetera, that's always calendar years. I kind of do goals every six months because I'll do my goals with my accountant and bookkeeper and everything Mm. just after July. But then I'll do my goals and lessons learned and stuff with the wife and the friends at Christmas. And so I I completely double dip. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, just thinking about that, I kind of did the same. It's a good good way to think about it. (laughs) Now, you you put, it's good. No, it's good because I'm like, it's almost like, yeah, you have, you're playing a game of halves, not a game of holes. It's good. Um, (laughs) the, the The three properties that you've got, they've performed pretty well. How do you feel about them? Yeah, they've done awesome. Exceeded expectations. I um, I was talking to, just talking to Hazel about. So, um, do you want to go buy some more properties? And so we opened up sort of the the property tracker, and we're mm. like, yeah, we probably should have bought something like a month or so ago. And I'm like, do you got the time to settle a place? And she's like, no, nah, you? And I'm like, no. Nah. And I'm like, all right, cool, <laughs> I will wait. But the the portfolio itself, dude, transparently, it's still cash flow positive. Yeah, that's like awesome. It's still, that's awesome. It's still putting out cash, and it's well, the first property you bought had a had a nearly one hundred and seventy percent return in in like, like less than two years. The gift that keeps on giving, and on top of that, dude, it was funny. I don't use the mortgage broker anymore, uh, but the mortgage broker I use like locked me in on a fixed interest rate, and I was yeah. I remember I was kicking myself. I'm like, oh man, I don't want a fixed interest rate. I want to be able to like extract cash out. 
and all these things. And then, so I was frustrated. And then I found out that it was like a three or a four year fixed interest rate. I'm like, oh man, this is even worse. And then the interest rates have increased. And so I've got like another 14 months to go. And I'm like, woohoo. That's <laughs> so awesome. Like, the yield when we bought that property is 8.3%. So surely rents have gone up since then. That must be yeah, beautiful, like, that property. Totally. I think it's it's like off the top of my head, I think it's 9.1% now. Nice. And it's just super stable. Super stable, like tenants have been there. It's the same tenants since we put them in. So awesome. it's just been cruisy as. So first property awesome. is awesome. Second one, we actually did a renovation on. We picked it up and we spoke to your team and they said, oh, you could actually increase your rent on this one substantially if you could just put a little bit of money into a renovation. Now, the perfectionist that I am doubled that and spent way too much. But that's a yep. me problem, not a you problem. And it was a seamless <laughs> and easy process, right? There was no hiccups at all in the entire renovation process, right? It all went smooth. No, never. There's, I don't know if you know, Goose, but when you say you're going to do a renovation, there's never a problem. Like, it's yeah. never. Like, it's always smooth as silk. Like easy. Just, just book things in <laughs> and there's no surprises, no surprises, no hidden costs. <laughs> nothing ever blows out and you never overcapitalize. <laughs> it's perfect, isn't it? Totally. What did you learn well, from that? No, so <laughs> the interesting thing was, um, and I have to give uh, the property manager all the kudos on this because they do they did everything uh, mm. just like you guys said they're like property manager will help you out with everything we'll put the plan together and execute on it i did nothing i just received some photos and like hey look that looks good that doesn't look good but it was awesome so we spent about 35 grand after we bought the place which is like maintenance and repairs were included in that so mm-hmm. it was about 10 12 grand on that and so the renovation itself cost us around 25k essentially it was a two level house in Queensland, the bottom floor had concrete on it and it just had a really bad job. So we redid the ceiling on the bottom floor, redid the flooring on the bottom floor, and then just did some touch-up stuff. For some reason, every place that we've got, we've had to replace a door. So there was a door that we had to replace as well downstairs. I don't know why people put holes in doors. Goose, you can tell me that one day. I got no, um, I got no <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just somewhere. Uh, and so we did that and it actually increased the rent 110 bucks. And this was actually where the property manager got really creative. So we put in tenants into that place when we first bought it. And so they lived at the top whilst we were doing renovations down the bottom. And in that agreement, it was a 12-month lease, there was actually like an increase clause where at the point the renovation had been done, it increases 110 bucks on on the rent. Like, And they did awesome. that at the, at the outset. So like, did I had locked in returns. You can do the maths, uh, call it 100 bucks. Mm a week rent and then you increase that. So you go hundred bucks, multiply by 52 weeks of the year, do the payback periods about like two and a bit years on the 25K. Yeah, that's awesome. And then everything else is cream. It was awesome. Renovation came in, I think it was four weeks later than anticipated. Tenants moved downstairs as well as upstairs. They loved it because it was literally a second apartment. And uh, yeah, second one was awesome. Awesome. Love that. So what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned through, uh, through your property journey? That's a great question. I think the creative accounting has been the biggest lesson that I've learned is that they mm. operate the same as business, right? Like the way that I look at all of the properties that I have is I can take the same concepts that I've got from sales and marketing and operations and finance that I've done in business and plug it on top of property. And just by mm. doing that, it is the easiest and quickest win because I know what to optimize. I know what to improve. I know what to change. I know what to do. That's probably been the biggest eye opener, which is, I'm like, wow, it's actually not that different compared to business. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. How are you applying sales and marketing stuff to it? Uh, so this is pushing the property managers to go and 
do better listings, better content writing on real estate. Do you do any copywriting sure for any of the listings? Have you ever, have you gone that far and said, oh, I'll bloody write the listing. I know how to Dude, write sales copy. I am so particular that the photos on a listing have yeah. to be good. I will say I've only ever, to, ever had to deal with it once because all the other properties like, they didn't even list them. They were just rented. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. So I'm like, oh, this photo, we can totally make it better. And this one, we should like improve it. So that's my sales and marketing skills. Just straight in. Nice. Nice. And what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who is thinking about starting to invest in property, but hasn't yet gotten going? A lot of people talk about different ways to approach property. And the challenge mm. that we've got is, and you know this, we've spoken about this before, is everyone's got like this personal bias right? Whether or not us growing up, we had a lot of money as a family, or if you had a little bit of money as a family, you have this bias towards like your money psychology or how you perceive risk or how you perceive like capitalism versus social. Like everybody has this belief. And I think the the best thing about property is that you can take whatever belief that you have and adapt the way you invest. So for Mm. example, for me in property, it's risk off completely. Right. So when, when I tell people that I put 20% deposits on and I fill offsets with cash and stuff, they're like, you're retarded. Like you're not utilizing debt enough. You're not doing all these things. Like why are you crazy? And I'm like, but this is it. This is based mm. on my personal bias and it's based on me not risking anything in my business to grow it. And property is great because I get to mold it where if I was more risk on, dude, I could totally do 10% deposits or 5% deposits. Like I could totally do all these other things. But property, I get to, it's malleable. I get to change it. I get to buy different things based on what I'm trying mm. to do. And that is what I'd say to everybody is like, don't just poo-poo property because, hey, I don't want negative gearing. I don't want positive gearing. I don't want all these things. It's like, no, it's malleable. Just like, just find the strategy that works for you based on your opinion, where you think you are. I'm like, just go for that. Awesome. Love it. That's a great place to leave it. Grant, I've enjoyed this episode. It's been really good. Thanks for coming on. Always fun. No worries, Goose. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, mate. I'll see you again soon.